Venta, what number session is this for you now? Okay, that's a hard question. I, I usually try to block that question out. But <laughs> <laughs> my first session, I think, was 2007. Wow. I, you deserve like a gold watch or a bronze gavel or something at this point. I know, right? I've, I think I've reached my legislative term limits almost. But it's funny because it feels like I've been covering the session forever. But then other times, not long at all. It's weird how it works that way. I wonder, how does opening day feel to you? Like, when you walk back into the Capitol that first day when everyone's back, is it exciting or is it like, oh, here we go again? <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's usually exciting to see everyone back in the building. It's a little bit like we describe it as back to school, and it, it does have that feel. Um, more so after an election year because you have so many new members coming in with their families and being sworn mm. in. We won't see that if we're in the middle of a term. But there is still always that excitement and energy. One thing I've noticed from where I sit in the editor's chair is that in addition to that excitement and energy, every year in the late fall, you start warning me about all the dire predictions that are coming about conflicts and issues that might blow up. But even though that that's something that we're sort of looking at each year going into session, it feels like this past couple of months, the worries have been bigger, that the potential for conflict has been more significant. This is one of those moments where it does seem like there are a lot of fault lines that are just close to the surface at the state house between Democrats and Republicans and within the parties. Democrats have this huge majority and that does change the dynamic as well. And then we have what's happening with the war between Israel and Hamas and an increasingly volatile national political environment. And that all has an influence. And I imagine it all will be felt when they get back to work on Wednesday. This is Purplish, a podcast about Colorado politics and policy, and starting with this episode, the 2024 legislative session. I'm Benta Berkland, and with me this episode is our public affairs editor, Megan Verlee. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. I should say I'm only here because our colleague Andy Kenny is out enjoying his new baby. He's in the final weeks of family leave, uh, and so you are starting the session on your own at the Capitol. Yep, that's right. And I expect the first few weeks, they'll be pretty busy, not just with all of the bills being introduced, but certainly with all the politics in play. We are recording this on Tuesday morning, the 9th, the day before session gavels in. And so by the time you listen to this, I think I fear that things will have changed. Things can move pretty quickly once the session officially starts. It's true. And to get into that, I actually think we should start not with this session, but with the end of the last one. On the very last day of the regular session, you attended a Democratic caucus meeting that got very emotional. A, a number of lawmakers there, particularly women of color, stood up and told the House Speaker that she'd failed them. This was an impromptu caucus meeting, so everyone was pretty much in there from Democratic lawmakers and staff to the whole press corps. And it was abruptly convened the final day of the session. This is moments after Republican House members walked off the chamber floor in protest at the speed of some legislation. Democrats gathered and didn't take long before people were airing their grievances about their own Democratic leaders. 
Some of the members of the Black and Brown Caucus said they didn't feel supported or defended against some of the comments from the other side of the aisle. It was very tense and I think for a lot of people a painful situation where these party divisions kind of burst into light. For House Democrats to end their session on a note like that, I at least immediately wonder, like, okay, so what has Speaker Julie McCluskey been doing since then? She's had more than six months to, I would think, meet with those members, to to talk to them about their concerns, potentially to change how she is running the House this session to, to meet some of those concerns. We did ask her about that on CPR's Colorado Matters this week, and this is what she said. For specific complaints that have arisen, we have addressed those. We have rules. We have enforced those rules. We have redirected members or gaveled members when their speech or references have been inappropriate. I will tell you that I have had many conversations with members uh, in my office uh, with minority leadership. When a member has stepped out of line, I have also tried to coach and direct in a way that will shape better engagement in the future. So she's saying she's tackling these incident by incident. Benta, do you get a sense that that is what people wanted her to do? I think for some members who've talked to me, they want even more than that. And they want more dialogue and open communication. And it is a tricky spot because McCluskey, she's the speaker of the entire chamber. And Democrats have the largest majority they've ever had in state history in that chamber. It's a very diverse caucus, you know, age, race, ethnicity, geographically. So you're managing a lot of different people. But at the same time, the speaker is not anyone's boss. You know, she's the leader of the chamber, but they're all elected officials. So not just for McCluskey, but previous speakers, that's always a little bit of a tricky dynamic. I did talk to McCluskey recently, and she said in the next few weeks, she does plan to release some guidelines on decorum for the entire chamber. And that may have specific examples that she hopes provide insight for people for when they're seeing something that is crossing a line and not just protected under free speech or, you know, it's kind of a gray area, but she's hoping to make it more of a bright line. One thing that seems sort of unthinkable, but I think we have to think about is McCluskey's talking about how she's going to lead the chamber in this session, but there's also, it sounds like, a chance that she might not lead the chamber in the upcoming session. Last week, there was a vacancy committee meeting to fill a seat for a lawmaker who resigned, which is something we should talk about in a minute. And the candidate who was eventually picked, Chad Clifford, he made this comment that got, like, a lot of people's radars up. What is possible in the beginning of this session is uh, likely a vote of no confidence that'll get brought up for our, our Speaker of the House. That feels like a flashback to Kevin McCarthy in the U.S. House, uh, something I don't want to ever have to flashback to. Is there a chance McCluskey could lose her position? Is there any precedent for that? I don't think there's any precedent for that. And the Democrats I've talked to aren't aware of any no confidence type of vote occurring. So I haven't heard that through my reporting. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but I I would be really surprised. You know, as much as we're talking about divisions in Colorado, it's still very different than how things operate in Washington, D.C. at the congressional level there. It's, It's very functional. They pass a lot of bipartisan legislation, including a balanced budget. So, you know, watch this prediction will be wrong, but I would be really shocked if something like that were to happen with McCluskey. 
I do think that would be one for the record books. Uh, one thing that did happen this week uh, going into to the start of session is that McCluskey sent a letter to a Democratic representative, Elizabeth Epps of Denver, formally rebuking her for something that happened during the special session back in November. That's right. It happened close to Thanksgiving. Lawmakers were in the Capitol for this short special session. And Epps attempted to add an amendment to a bill. And this was a bill about federal food benefits. Her amendment would have prevented these benefits from being used to purchase products made in the Palestinian territories. Uh, And this is what you were referring to at the very start of this episode, that the conflict in Gaza is finding its way into the state capitol. Right. And I think we'll continue to see that at least for the first few weeks of the session and maybe even longer. But at issue here is what what happened after Epps brought forward that amendment. She later joined pro-Palestinian protesters from the House Gallery. So this is the balcony above the chamber. Republican Representative Ron Weinberg, who was Jewish, took the podium to try to respond. And Epps and others shouted down at him, interrupted his remarks. Democratic leaders did call state patrol to to clear the galleries. Some other members of the caucus went up to speak with her, and Epps eventually left. Having protesters in the gallery is not unheard of. I remember there were climate protesters who interrupted the state of the state a few years back. But to have a lawmaker leave the floor and join them and then be very vocal as part of that protest, I don't think I've seen that happen before. I don't think I have either. And I I would say protests in general in the galleries, it's still very rare. If you think of the chamber floor, it's restricted. So lobbyists, you know, people explicitly advocating for things on the chamber floor, that's banned. So they try to keep that politics outside of the chamber. Certainly people can observe the proceedings from the gallery. But while there have been incidents of, of protests disrupting proceedings before, it's not common. And since then, there have been a couple of things. Epps was removed from the Judiciary Committee. And now there's this letter of reprimand. Which is a, a rare thing to have happen in the State House. It's a formal letter, the reprimand, and the, the Speaker has the authority to do that. And McCluskey said Epps engaged in numerous actions during the special session that were significantly disruptive to House business and caused delays. And McCluskey said Epps engaged in disrespectful behaviors, which, quote, failed to uphold the honor and dignity of our democratic institution. To be reprimanded, though, is there any punishment that goes beyond just having this public letter out there? Is there Are there any other consequences Epps might face? The speaker has limited authority in terms of consequences. So removing Epps from Judiciary Committee and now this formal letter of rebuke, the speaker can do that unilaterally. But for any other larger action like a censure or expulsion, which I haven't heard people mention, but just those are other levels of discipline that takes a vote of the entire chamber. So that's something that the speaker could not do on her own. The letter doesn't explicitly say this is what will happen next, but just says if behavior like this continues there are possible further consequences. The, the, the next logical one would be censure. And some Republicans are still calling for that. But this conflict in the chambers, and we do seem to really be focused on the House chamber here, it goes 
way further than Epps, right? Like she's and the speaker have one dynamic, but there's a lot going on there. That's right. There's been huge conflicts and we've covered it for years among Republicans, the pro-Trump faction of the party versus more moderate Republicans. We still see that in the House chamber. And there's been a a lot of discord there at at times with the state Republican Party chair and Republican lawmakers. The party chair who is now running for Congress, should be said. That's right. And we have a House, actually two House Republicans who are running for Congress. And then on the Democratic side, a lot of divisions between the progressive caucus and more moderate Democrats, which we're seeing that more now come to light since Democrats have such a huge majority. So they have the ability to really drive those policy discussions at the state house, And we mentioned this already, but the national political dynamic and the discourse that's happening well outside Colorado impacts what happens at the state house. There's so many different dynamics in play. And we, we've heard recently that the speaker also sent a formal letter of rebuke to Republican Representative Scott Bottoms over the summer over some comments he made. So the speaker has said she plans to really enforce the rules around decorum for this upcoming session. Going back to the idea of decorum and just the general vitriol in politics gets us back to the reason that there was a vacancy committee last week. And that was because first-term representative Ruby Dixon resigned kind of suddenly back in December. That's right. She resigned right after the special session, and she said it was because of the vitriol and the dynamic in the House. I reached out to get further comment on on what drove her decision and didn't hear back. She is Jewish, and she's a member of the LGBTQ community, although she didn't reference those identities specifically in her formal statement when she left the legislature. And she was one of two lawmakers who left after serving just a year. The other one was Syed Sharbini, uh, who interestingly has uh, Palestinian roots. He also resigned. uh, His letter, he cited first and foremost just the financial burden of serving in the legislature, that it wasn't sustainable for his family. But he also mentioned the political tone. And I have to think, if you're somebody invested in Colorado politics, the fact that young, early career lawmakers are saying this isn't for me, like that does not bode well for the future of politics in the state. When I was talking to lawmakers about Sharbini and Dixon leaving, a lot of people said they were very sad to see these colleagues go. And it just reaffirmed for many lawmakers the importance of making sure it is a healthy workplace and that people treat each other with respect in the building. And a lot of people are friends and collegial there by and large, but it is politics. And as bad as the session may be, there have been other really tough sessions. Think about, you know, when the Senate president got recalled from office. I mean, there's been a lot of volatile moments over the years. So it's just part of the process, too. I think that's some really helpful perspective. I have to say, at this point in the episode, as a person who loves policy a lot more than politics, I am so pained that we have gotten this far into talking about the start of session. We haven't said a thing about what these guys might actually do, like what policies (laughs) they might be fighting for this year. What? what? Um, Well, one thing I've been talking to legislative leaders, and they all said a top priority again this session will be the cost of housing and just affordability and living in the state. So I think we're going to see bills from across the political spectrum trying to tackle that issue from various angles. And it is an election year. So historically, 
there are less ambitious policies in an election year. People running for re-election, and as it gets closer to the end of session, it butts up against that political calendar. Well, I am going to hold out hope that they introduce a lot of interesting substantive bills that we can get on talking about. Land use certainly, I think, is going to be a fascinating one to watch, given that Polis really shot for the moon on that last year and and got shot down, uh, to mix my metaphors. What I'm hearing from lawmakers on that is when it comes to land use and zoning and trying to increase supply and density, which was one of the central pieces of what Polis was trying to push forward last session, that we may see some of those bills likely in not one big package, but just separate bills. That makes sense. We've also seen from reporting our transportation reporter, Nate Miner's done, that he might, you know, really put some emphasis on trying to beef up public transit as a way to incentivize cities or to make it feel possible for them to get denser. That will be interesting to watch. And of course, Andy will be back in a couple of weeks to help us keep an eye on it. And with that, let's leave it there. We're keeping this episode short because, frankly, who knows what the landscape will look like by Friday. But keep your eyes on the feed and on CPR.org. We have a lot of stuff coming up from opening day speeches, bills, the governor's state of the state address, and we'll be doing more episodes of Purplish in the next few weeks. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. We'll be back in your podcast feed sometime soon. So if you're not already a subscriber, sign up to make sure you don't miss it. And if you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. This is Purplish from CPR News.